bring you greetings in the precious name of Jesus this morning, the one who gives us life, who gives us new breath each day that we wake up. Did you thank God for the gift of life this morning? It was October 17, 2015. I was enjoying duck hunting with a good friend. It was the first day of duck season, and we were having a good morning. And throughout that, or fairly early in that morning, I got a message or a phone call. I don't remember for sure. I got word of a very tragic accident that happened earlier that morning. There was a family of six. It was a young family. I knew the father. I had didn't know him that well, but knew him, I mean, was with him some in the years prior. They were traveling as a family, and he went. He was traveling through an area he wasn't familiar with and ended up running a stop sign and another vehicle coming the opposite way, and they were hit. And his wife was killed instantly. She was, she was soon going to have their fourth child. The baby and mother were killed instantly. Their, one of their other, they had three children at the time, one unborn. One of their children were killed instantly. The father was in critical condition, and the two other children that were living were seriously injured. Just one of those, when I got word of that, just like makes you... Uh, makes you do a reality check and think of, you know, how fragile life can be. The family was looking forward to a, an enjoyable day. All of a sudden, their, their life has changed in a moment. You can probably all remember times where you got shocking news, maybe a death of a friend, death of a, a loved one, where it takes you back and makes you think about how fragile life is. James says our life is a vapor. You can turn in the book of James. We'll continue our study through James. This morning I would like to look at verses, well, James 4, starting at verse 13, and I plan to also look at the first six verses in James chapter 5. I think they all are connected. So life is a vapor, James tells us that. I don't know if you always think of life as a vapor. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like a vapor, does it? It doesn't feel quite that short. Just for an illustration this morning, I brought, there's some water in this bottle, and hopefully you can see some, a mist or a vapor that comes out of this bottle as it's sprayed. So James says, this is your life. You see it for a time, and then it's gone. That seems really, really short. The ESV actually uses the word mist. Your life is a mist that appears for a little time, and then it's gone. Now, it depends what you compare that to. So I believe James had eternity in mind. So our life on earth, compared to eternity, is a vapor, or it is a mist. And I'd like to think in your minds, I know I've already drew a line up on the whiteboard, the line representing our life. So I'm not going to draw on that this morning, but think of your life as a line. And then maybe through that line have different lines representing each uh, or 10 years. So the Bible says about three score years and 10, 70 years being a good life. Some of us or some people live beyond that. Some people don't live to be 70 years old, just like that family that I was telling you about. Their life suddenly changed. And when you think about 
a vapor and our life as being a line. So let's just say, let's just say the line goes this long. Compared to, or thinking about eternity, our line of our line where death will come is, you know, way, way back here. We can't, or I can't wrap my mind around eternity. Have you ever tried to do that? Think about where you will be in 100 years from now, 200 years from now, a million years from now. Well, when you start thinking that far out, life does seem like a vapor. It seems like a mist, right? Because the Bible says our soul will continue to live. And I believe that's why James is saying our life is like a vapor. Back to that family, just hearing a sudden tragic accident like that makes you really think seriously about life. And ten days later, that father that was critically injured ended up dying. So a family of six was down to a family of two children, just like that. And death can come very, very quickly. I didn't know that man well. From what I've heard, he was... It appeared he was ready to go. And there's, there's a lot of, even though there's a lot of grief through that time, there can also be joy in knowing someone was ready to go. So this morning, I want us to think about our life being like a vapor. Or James says, life is a vapor. Also, what I think is interesting, my guess would be, if I ask for responses... My guess would be the younger children would say, no, life doesn't feel like a vapor. Like as a young person, you might be waiting for the next thing. You might be waiting to get your driver's license and it might seem like it takes so long. Life seems very long. You seem like there's a lot of future ahead of you. The older you are, I would guess you would tend to agree quicker that life is like a vapor or life is a vapor. Blessed to have my uncle and aunt here this morning. Would you say life is a vapor? Does it feel like a vapor? I, yeah, you don't necessarily need to respond either, but... Darlene just said this morning, where, did, where has time went? Yeah. That was just this morning. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the order I get, I feel that more as well. Just life seems to be flying by so fast. So life is short. And like I said, after our vapor that we are living right now is over, eternity is before us. And that should make us think seriously about life. In eternity, we will either be forever with God or forever separated from God. And that depends on how we live this little vapor or mist that God gives us. So the title, again, Life is a Vapor. I'm not sure why that was on there already. I did not plan to show that from the beginning, but there it is. And I would like to, again, look at verses 13 or chapter 4, verse 13, start there and look at also the first six verses in James chapter 5. So if you have your Bible open there, I will start reading James chapter 4, verse 13 says, go to now, or it could say, come now, you that say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what your what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? 
It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Chapter 5. Go to now, or come now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, or your gold and silver has corroded. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire, or the wages of the laborers, who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth, I believe is how that's pronounced, or the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies. Verse 5, you have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been in wanton, or you have been in, you have lived in self-indulgence. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. And I'll stop reading there. This morning, I would like to pull two points from these verses. The first one is foolish planning and its consequences. And second one is wise planning and careful living. So James does not mention the word foolish in this passage, but I believe it's in a sense alluded to the rich don't or the rich live foolishly and they're going to face consequences for the living for that type of living. James, the first six verses in James, James is addressing the rich or the foolish and the way that they choose to live. And then the second point, wise planning and careful living. And there's the reason I don't have wise planning and its con- or its rewards. James talks about how we should live. And I want to look at some verses in this passage regarding that. So this morning, what I want to drive home, I want to remind, I want you to remember that life is short. So make wise choices in the vapor you are given. The first point, and I'm going to, or I plan to spend some time on this one, foolish planning and its consequences. And I have a picture that I'd like to go with it to help illustrate this. I don't know if you ever saw that picture. I had seen that picture some time ago. It is only a short trip. Enjoy it. So there's a boy looking into a mirror. And it's driving the point home of how short life really is. Look at yourself in the mirror. In the vapor, you'll soon be an elderly person. Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> but life is short. It is a short trip. However, the, the part, enjoy it, there's a lot of people where I, I believe the message that is sending, life is short, make the most of it, or do chase your dreams. And I want to react to that a little bit this morning. I believe we should enjoy life. I believe God wants us to enjoy life. So there's a a balance to this. But the message that that sends is basically how I take it and the way it's often displayed is live it up. Life is short. Live it up. Chase your dreams. Again, not wrong with enjoying life. I believe we should. But 
a foolish person focuses on all they can get out of this little vapor that they are given. So James is calling out or rebuking businessmen and the plans they made. Verse 13, and from my studying during this time, it was very common for businessmen who would go to, they would make plans, they would go to one city for a time, plan to how plan how long they're going to be there, then they're going to move to the next city and see, and, and it's all for profit or all, all for gain. That sounds like good business planning, right? In business, you need to make a profit. So there's not there's nothing wrong with planning. I don't want to come down this morning and say it's wrong to plan. I believe it's wise to plan. But we've got to think about our motive in what we are doing. So there's good business strategies. A good business strategy is strategy is going to be to make a profit. If you don't make a profit, a business cannot continue. A business does need to make profit. So what is wrong with what James was addressing here? So the problem isn't that they were planning ahead. The problem was not that they were making a profit. But what James is addressing, James addresses it. It appears they became a fo- they became focused on riches and pleasure instead of aligning their life within the will of God. They weren't concerned about what God has for them, but it was all focused on what they could get out of it. And they were not, they didn't think carefully how they were making a gain in according to those first six verses in chapter five, which we'll get there soon. So there's a right way to go about business and business. And there's a wrong way. So a foolish person, a a couple points here I want to put under foolish planning and its consequences. The first one, a foolish person is self-seeking rather than God-seeking. Verse 16, for you ought, or for, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. I don't know what all James was witnessing, what all he was observing. So James was writing to the church. And I believe there were some things happening in the church that James was confronting or rebuking, saying this is not right. Some of them were living their life as if God didn't even really exist. They were waking up each day strictly focused on financial gain, seeking pleasure, They were self-seeking rather than God-seeking. So careless planning without seeking God and his will and to pride ourselves of our own own accomplishments is downright sin. So James was addressing the rich. Now, what defines rich? Who's rich? Well, the word, I mean, being rich is somewhat of a relative term, right? It depends who we compare ourselves with. We can probably all compare our lot in life, our material possessions to some people and say, well, we feel, we feel rather poor. We're definitely not rich. But if you go to a third world country or even some homes around us, we can all of a sudden feel very rich, right? Depends who we compare ourselves with. In the ancient world, wealth was often determined by stores of grain, expensive garments, and precious metals. Today, although material possessions is, is often a sign of wealth, it's not always how wealth is displayed. There's, you, know, you can have a lot in stocks or in bonds, and you might not have material or tangible things that show your riches, but we can still, we, we still deal with wealth today and i believe to 
if you uh, look at the world at large, we all are very wealthy. And it really does matter how we steward our wealth and what we do with the, the blessings that God has given us. So James does not denounce wealth in its own right, and neither is he condemning people for being rich. I think that's also important to note. It was more, again, how they were attaining their wealth, how they were accumulating their material possessions. So the first six verses in James chapter 5, James announces God's judgment upon those who dishonestly acquire wealth, who oppress the poor, and who live wastefully. Verse 1 in chapter 5 says, or talks about, uses the words weep and howl. This indicates a spirit of anguish because of coming judgment, not because of sorrow over sin. So, again, thinking about the first point, foolish planning and its consequences, it's self-seeking rather than God-seeking, and one of the consequences, the foolish planning and consequences will experience And its consequences, they will experience misery at judgment, coming from chapter 5, verse 1. There is a day coming when this vapor is over, that God's wrath is going to be poured out on them. They're going to be weeping and howling because of the way they lived their vapor. Wrongs will be righted and punishment will be given to those who abused the wealth they were given. The word miseries is a strong word suggesting hardships, afflictions, and wretchedness that will come upon the rich in the day of judgment. And then verses 2 and 3, the men James was calling out had wealth that was rotting in their storehouses. They were never going to use all the wealth that they had accumulated. Maybe you can think of places where you see lots of material possessions that someone accumulates, but it just sits there and it's really not for anyone's benefit. It's deteriorating. It's rusting. It's going to nothing. What does God think of that when we don't steward our things wisely? James says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are mothy and your gold and silver is corroding them. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. So the the foolish person who is seeking material wealth is there is going to be judgment that comes. And Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Our focus should not be just in material possessions. We do need them. We can't go throughout life without any material possessions, but that should not be our focus. So the reason God's judgment will be poured out on the rich is not simply because they are rich, but because of the sins often associated often associated with the accumulation of wealth. And we're going to look more at that here in these next verses. Verse 4 says... Behold, the wages of or the hire or the wages of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is kept back by fraud. So they were not using or they were taking advantage of people. So a foolish person hoards material possessions. So my understanding is sometimes these rich men, they would hire people to come work for them. They would say, hey, at the end of the day, I'll pay you this this amount. The people work there for a day and they simply take advantage of the people. 
maybe pay them less or maybe not even pay them at all. And my understanding during these times, there were a lot of people, these poor people that were working for the rich. There were a lot of times if they didn't get their money at the end of the day, that meant them not having food that day or that meant them, their families not having food that day. But the, some of the rich men were doing this simply taking advantage of the poor to pad their own pocket or to accumulate more wealth. And how foolish that was. And the word Sabaoth, if I'm saying that right, meaning host or armies, was a title used to depict the majesty and power of God. And that word is used there at the end of verse 4. The cries of the mistreated are not always heard on earth, but their appeals are heard in heaven. There is a day coming when the rich and their unfair accumulation of wealth are going to pay for it, and the cries of the poor are going to be heard. That's what I understand from verse 4. Also, a foolish person is unjust to others. And I already talked about some of that. I don't always keep up with the, uh, the slide there. So they hoard material possession. They just have these storehouses for their wealth, storehouses for their goods, and they are unjust to others. They don't treat all men equally. Also, if you remember James chapter 2, James addressed the, the rich not treating the poor very well. If a, if a poor man came in, they would give them a lesser place to sit. James cared very much that both rich and poor are treated fairly. And that's God's heart as well, that the rich and poor are both, or that they love each other and the rich treat the poor fairly instead of taking advantage of them. So a foolish person is unjust. And also a foolish person pursues luxury. Now in a sense... Most of us do live in luxury, right? <laughs> With the many assets that we have, the many things that we have today. But the foolish person, his focus is on what he can get out of this life. Life is short, enjoy it. Is what that, going back you know, to that picture and pushing against that a little bit. The foolish person only is concerned about this life, this vapor, and not laying up treasures in heaven. So the rich have the ability to pamper themselves with almost anything their heart desires. Now, we probably would all, can all think of things that, well, that would be really nice to have, but, you know, we just don't have the finances to do it. And sometimes that's good that we can't just get whatever we want, right? <laughs> but the rich are only concerned about their own luxurious living. Or I shouldn't say the rich. The foolish person is only concerned about that. The ones, the rich people or the foolish people that James is addressing here are concerned about their own pleasures, their own life of leisure. The day of slaughter in verse 5 is most likely speaking of, again, of judgment day. A wealthy person's manner of life often resembles that of cattle, which do nothing but feed themselves, unaware that they are fattening themselves for their very own slaughter. Verse 6, you have condemned and killed the just. My mind went to the rich man and Lazarus, thinking about the rich man and a poor man, 
Lazarus or the rich man wasn't concerned about the poor. He left the uh, Lazarus, you know, eat his crumbs from his table. And one day Lazarus or the rich man paid for it. And Lazarus was taken to heaven. The rich man in torment was wishing he could go back and change, but he was not. His, his life was over. His vapor was over and he was experiencing experiencing the consequences of a life of living a life of luxury and not caring for the poor. So it is foolish to live a life simply pursuing wealth. And again, thinking about our life being that line, the vapor and then the line that just continues forever and ever and ever. We should think seriously about how we are living our life. Now, I'd like to move to the second point. Wise planning and careful living. I'm going to go back to chapter 4. I know I'm not going in uh, order here how they were written, but wise planning and careful living. A, the wise person or God-fearing person lives with an awareness that life is a vapor. Not that I, I go through life almost forgetting this sometimes, how, how short my life is. We're not always dwelling on the... Like thinking about how life is like a vapor, but we we should live with that awareness that life on earth is temporary. And I have this picture up here again, changed it slightly. Life is short, live it wisely. So we're not concerned about just enjoying life. That's not our main focus. We our main focus to be life is short. I want to live life wisely because eternity lies ahead. God cares how I live my life. So a wise person is God-seeking rather than self-seeking. So a wise person thinks about what does God want for my life rather than what can I get out of life. It's not all about me. The wise person realizes life is a mist. The wise person realizes we don't know what tomorrow holds. That can be scary at times. It doesn't need to be scary for the person that is right with God. Their sins are forgiven. Their sins are taken away by the blood of the lamb. We don't need to live in fear. Yet there is that uncertainty of life. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what this afternoon will bring. Our life is fragile. Our life is, again, like this mist that goes you see it for a time and then it vanishes away proverbs 27 1 says tells us we should not boast of tomorrow for we don't know what a day will bring forth that man that i talked about in the story very unlikely when he woke up that morning and his wife realized what the day held for them life changed for them very suddenly and life changes for many people very suddenly Some people face sickness and a a long battle of cancer or whatever it may be before they die so that they have that, they know that their end is coming. Others don't have that opportunity where they know when their last day is going to be or how long they have to live. Light or death can come very suddenly. There's a lot of things in life that are simply beyond our control. I was thinking about this. I think about different times. When you are driving on a road... Let's say you are driving on a 
fairly busy road, maybe going 50 miles an hour. You're meeting traffic coming the other way, 50, 60 miles an hour. All it takes for that other vehicle, you're trusting that other vehicle, right? You're trusting that they'll stay on their side and you're going to stay on your side, right? And you pass by just feet of each other. But you know, when something goes wrong and when they come over, life can change in a moment, just like that. And tragedies like that do happen. Our heart, we, or I take it for granted sometimes that my heart continues to beat. Some people, when they have a heart attack, their heart all of a sudden stops beating and, and death comes very suddenly. A tiny a blood clot in the brain can end life very suddenly. There's just many things that are beyond our control. And just a few weeks ago, Jordan, going to, a young man, a young father, going about his work and killed instantly just like that. Death can come in a moment. Life is fragile. So the wise person is God-seeking rather than self-seeking. And a wise person recognizes that life is in God's hands. We should wake up each day and thank God for life. We should thank him that we're still allowed to live in this vapor or mist, whatever you want to think of it as. So James says in verse 15, For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Again, thinking about planning, planning is good. Planning is not wrong. But we should plan with awareness that my plans will take place if God allows or if God wills. We recognize that God is the one holding our future in his hands. I had a coworker a number of years ago that at the end of the day, we would, you know, most of the throughout the week would say, see you tomorrow. And I had a coworker that would often say, Lord willing. And at the time when he said that, I, I could appreciate that he would say that he said that and respect that. But inside, I remember thinking like, you know, you know, whatever, like, sure. But as I get older, I can appreciate that more. And I'm not saying that we need to attach Lord willing to everything we say. Like, see you Wednesday evening, Lord willing. But we should live with that awareness. I think it's, a, it's appropriate to say it at times. Nothing wrong with saying it. But if we say it, it can become, or if we say it over and over, it can become a cliche that we don't really think anything of. But it's appropriate to say, but it's more important, I believe, to live with that attitude of Lord willing. We make plans, but we also recognize God is the one that holds the future in his hands or life is in God's hands. Verse 17 is an interesting verse. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So here James tells us, if we know to do good, but fail to do it, we're sinning. I don't know what James was thinking of when he wrote this. Was, was he thinking of the foolish rich people who were so focused on wealth and their own gaining their own assets or their own uh, material possessions is that who he, or is that what he was thinking of like in a sense this verse just seems to be placed in here maybe not flowing along with what he was writing but i i would think james had the rich in mind thinking about all the needs that were around them and yet they were just living a closed life they weren't even thinking about or they weren't careful to treat the poor or treat them fairly 
James says, if you know what the right thing is to do and you don't do it, it is sin. So James cared deeply that rich and poor, or that all were treated equally. And God, or Jesus, cares about that That's or very much. That is the heart of Jesus, that the, the, all men or all people are treated fairly. With this verse, you probably heard it heard already, there are sins of commission and sins of omission. So sins of commission, this involves the willful act of doing something that violates God's commands in Scripture. So if we do something that is blatantly against God's command, um, maybe for example, so if we tell a lie, that's a sin of commission. That's going against God's commands. If we gossip, that's a sin of commission. That's doing against, that's, that's a sin against God's will. Sin of omission involves not doing what is right or failing to do as instructed. So maybe for an example of that, we're familiar with the parable that Jesus told of the the talents, the talents that the men were given. So what was the, the man that was given one talent? Why was he called out for not using his or for his one talent? Well, he didn't use it. He didn't do what was right, do what was the expected thing to do. A sin of omission. He failed to do what he was supposed to do. Another example would be the Good Samaritan. So the priest and the Levite, they are marked with contempt for a lack of meeting a human need. So they saw the, the person lying in the ditch, but they didn't meet their needs. The sin of omission, not caring for a need that was around them. So just an example of sins of commission and sins of omission. So a wise person strives to do what is right. And that's coming from verse 17. We're not, a wise person doesn't just focus on staying away from sin or not yielding to sin, but a wise person also thinks about what does God want for me to do? What is the right thing to do in this situation? And there's many times in my own life where I don't do what I, or maybe I see a need and I excuse it very quickly because of, my own agenda, what I have to do that day. Am I sometimes, or I know for a fact, sometimes I am sinning by not doing what I ought to be doing. It's a very serious thing to see a need, maybe even feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, and yet we, we turn away. That's what the priest and the Levite did. We should be like the Good Samaritan and meet the needs that God places around us. No, we can't meet every need. We can maybe make ourselves feel guilty for all the unmet needs out there. God doesn't expect us to meet every need because we we can't do that. But yet the needs that he places in front of us, this verse right here, I want this to come to my mind and to come to your mind. When God places a need around you, are you doing the right thing to do? Are you meeting the needs that God places around you? So a wise person strives to do what is right. This takes discipline. This is hard to do sometimes. And it takes a sensitivity to hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Again, thinking about our life being a vapor. And while we're in this vapor, we are called to do the right thing. To do what God wants us to do. A wise person could could also be said, I don't have it on the wall here, but strives to walk 
circumspectly, as, ta- as uh, Ephesians talk- instructs us, circumspectly means carefully. We should live life carefully. So life is short, live it wisely, or life is short, live it carefully. We recognize that life is a vapor. So in conclusion, remember life is short. How will you live your vapor? And I trust I'm speaking to people who are striving to walk carefully, to live life in a way that is honoring to God. But I want to challenge you this morning as I've been challenged as I, as I studied for this message. Verse 14 is a verse that has jumped out to me many, many times. I remember in my youth not being, living a, an ungodly life and this verse was very convicting and it was very concerning to me because Life is a vapor, and I feared death greatly when I was not living right with God because I knew I was not ready. If my vapor would have ended then, my life was not ready. But I praise God for his love, for his mercy, and for his forgiveness. God could have taken my life. He could, he could have ended it just like that when I wasn't ready to go. But God is merciful. And if you're in a spot this morning where you recognize... Your life is a vapor, but you're not ready to go. I plead with you. I urge you. God is a loving God. He's a gracious God. But we are not guaranteed tomorrow. So today, listen to the voice of his spirit calling you to himself. And I urge you to say yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because life is a vapor. Again, thinking about these pictures... I want to contrast the two now. Contrasting the foolish person is simply looking at the, what they can get out of this life, enjoying life. The wise person recognizes, or they, they both recognize it's short, but the, the foolish person lives for the here and now, and the wise person sees it as a vapor and seeks to live life wisely. So we looked at the foolish planning and its consequences, wise planning, and careful living. May God bless you and guide you as you seek to live your vapor, to bring honor and glory to him. Live your vapor in obedience to God's will, recognizing that your life is in God's hands. And right now, your vapor is still, your vapor is visible, if you will. You're still here, but there's going to be a time coming when that vapor is gone. We don't know when, but life is short Live it wisely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your very clear instructions in James. How short life is, how fragile life is. And I pray that each one of us would be convicted to live life wisely. I pray that you would forgive us for the times where we've failed. Times where we've failed to do the right thing times where we failed to meet the needs around us. And I pray that we would not live life focused simply on the enjoyment of life or the here and now and what we can get out of life, but that we would lay up treasures in heaven, that we would seek your kingdom, that we could be wise as we live this vapor that you have given to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.